I'm Leah Bowden, and this is the Modern Miss Mason podcast. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Miss Mason podcast. Well, there must be at least 20 sparrows on the trees in front of the window where I'm sat. They chirp, flutter and eat all day. They dart in and out of the hedge which separates our front garden from a public park, but it seems that many of them have found their home in our garden. You know I love that. This week, as we were sat reading and learning in the schoolroom, we were frequently distracted by the bird life in the garden. One day, a ring-necked parrot, sometimes known as a rose-ringed parakeet, sat high in the tree above our window. The following day, we were disturbed by the sudden raised volume of the chattering sparrows. And as we looked outside, we saw a sparrow hawk perched in the garden, staring down any unsuspecting little sparrow. Just yesterday, as I was tapping away on my keyboard, out of the corner of my eye, a kestrel swooped down from the sky into the hedge in the corner of our garden and then it flew off looking quite triumphant, although I didn't fully witness him clutching his prey. Life is happening, isn't it? All the time, right in front of our eyes. We have just a couple of weeks left of winter, and then the earth will begin to warm up. Buds will burst, sleepers will awake, and the scent of spring will fill the air again. I often struggle to be personally reflective. I'm naturally futuristic in my thinking, but somehow I feel like I need to consider the lessons I've learned in the winter. Through my sickness in January, through the healing in February, in the quiet of lockdown and quarantine and through all the reading I've done. This season of the podcast is dedicated to mothers. My hope is that our conversations here over the next few weeks will inspire you, awaken your mind and soul, and maybe breathe a little upon the dreams that you've tucked away along with the three to six month baby clothes in the basement. Miss Mason encouraged mothers to stay intellectually alive, to find delight in the learning days alongside our children, and to take time to engage, enjoy, and play in the world around us. This Sunday, the 14th of March, is Mothering Sunday, or more commonly known as Mother's Day here in the UK. To celebrate that and to dedicate this to all mothers, but especially those listening in the UK, I want to read an excerpt from In Memoriam, which was a gathering of tributes and writing and essays to Charlotte Mason and about Charlotte Mason written after her death in 1923. This particular tribute, this small part I'm reading, was written by M. H. Swingler and it's titled A Mother's Tribute. Would it not be true to say of mothers that some are born mothers, some achieve motherhood and some have motherhood thrust upon them? 
There are some women who, although they are not called to marriage and human motherhood, have yet begotten spiritual children who rise up and call them blessed. And of such surely was Charlotte Mason. Endured with powers of vision, of love, of courage and of patience, such as are given to few, she has been the designer, the chief engineer, and the foremost labourer of a road which now is trodden by many feet, both young and older, with hope and joyfulness. The task God has given to mothers must always be the most responsible, committed to any human being. It is nothing less than the training for his service of his own children, children whose bodies must be sound and healthy, whose minds must be disciplined and alert, whose souls must learn to grow in the knowledge and love of their father if they are to fulfil the purpose for which he has sent them here. It was this vision which Miss Mason saw and which she gave her life to make real, this ideal which she ever held before the eyes of those who in the dusty ways of daily life were apt to rest content with a lower and more material standard. And so we mothers owe her a debt of gratitude, which it's hard to put into words for her wonderful help and inspiration in this great work of child training. As one who during the past eight years has had five members of her family in the PUS, I am grateful for the privilege of being allowed to try ever so feebly to voice this gratitude. My conversation this week is with the amazing mother of four, Christy Purifoy. Christy, amongst many other things, is an author, podcaster, and gardener. She consistently points us to beauty through her words and photography. I found her reading life and intellectual pursuits, as well as her commitment to growth personally and in the garden, such an inspiration. And I think you will too. Listen in. Christy, it is such an honour to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking time out and hopping on with me. Oh, absolutely. It is such a privilege and I am really looking forward to our conversation. I have a feeling it's going to be a good one. I think so too. Well, people may have heard of you. I'm, home, I'm sure they've read your books, but do you want to just take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little about a bit about your family and uh, maybe, I don't know, what your days currently look like? Oh, absolutely. Well, I am a writer. Um, I have a few books out, but I'm also a mom of four kids. I live in this old uh, farmhouse in southeastern Pennsylvania, so that's not too far from Philadelphia. Uh, this old house is called Maplehurst, and it's Maplehurst really that has inspired all of my writing um, in two memoirs and, and now a, a book of essays about the garden here. So I spend my days writing gardening if the weather allows, <laughs> taking photographs, which I love, really just trying to fill my eyes and heart with beauty. Uh, beauty is what moves me more than anything. But I, I, my oldest is 17. My youngest is eight, two boys, two girls. And like many families um, around the world, really, they have mostly, we have 
mostly been at home together this past year. So um, I don't, uh, I'm not a homeschooling mom. I don't home educate, but it has looked a lot more like that this past year. <laughs> and two of my kids are still <laughs> full-time doing um, virtual schooling at home. So that has really changed what my day-to-day -day life is like this past year. Um, it's been hard in some ways. It's been really sweet in others. Um, but like many moms right now, I think I am yearning for some some kind of new normal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I've been interested listening to writers and, and creatives, I guess we'll call them, um, and what impact this season has had on them. I mean, have you found it... I know it's busier because your children children are around, but have you found it um, easier to write and be creative and kind of, or have you found that more of a, a yeah, harder work? Yeah, you know, it has been, well, you know, I can answer that question actually two ways. So it has been harder to find the kind of silence and solitude that I personally need for the really deep writing, the yes. writing that is really digging deep, um, asking hard questions that I'm not sure I know how to answer. That was the kind of writing I did in my last book, Placemaker. Um, and I could, I really don't think I could have written that book um, in our current situation. No. But this year I have been working on a book of essays. They aren't um, connected with a sustained narrative. Um, and the essays are accompanied by photographs, which is a whole different kind of creativity. And I have found this project was perfect for um, fitting into the little bits of my day. I would, I can remember last spring and summer, we would eat dinner outside. My husband would continue talking to the kids after we'd finished eating and and, and now it would be golden hour and I would pick up my camera and I would just walk around the garden taking pictures, but there was my family still around the table. Um, and it just, it felt really seamless. Mm. Um, so it, I guess I do, I have two answers to that question and it really depended on the project. So I'm grateful for the project I had this year, um, but I know I, I, a different kind of project would have been a very different um, reality, I think. So I think it's fair to answer that question. Yes, it's been harder and it's also, it's, it's worked out. Yeah, that's a, that's great. I think um, I think I'm. I mean, people know that I'm I'm writing at the moment, and I've definitely had to discipline myself to forge out those early hours because I I definitely have to write in solitude and yes. uh, sit at the, the the window looking over the park and get my head down. Um, but that does that is a season of real discipline, isn't it? To kind of get up, sit down, butt in seat, as Anne Lamott says. <laughs> exactly exactly um, yeah it's a privilege and I guess we have to um yeah we do the work in that season but that's great to hear I'm just imagining the beauty of golden hour at Maplehurst right. see those <laughs> photographs how lovely so can you share with us a little bit about your background um I, th I think I'm right in saying you've uh, you I want to even say, have you got a, have you got a PhD in literature, or were you? I do, I do. Oh, yes, okay. you know, Tell I was such that. I was such a reader as a kid. It, um, books were just everything to me. I spent my childhood reading. Um, actually, my family used to joke with me about it. We would go and visit my um, grandmother who lived on a farm in North Texas, and my family would joke that I was the only kid who would stay inside reading. You know about farm life and a Laura Ingalls Wilder book while they were outside enjoying farm life. So <laughs> I, I definitely <laughs> lived, I lived through books as a kid. And I can remember asking my mom, mom, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Is there anything where they just pay you to read books? And my mom told me, she just looked at me, I think with 
pity perhaps or compassion and said, no, honey, there's nothing like that. Oh no! <laughs> but I, I couldn't think of anything else. So I just kept going to school. School was something I could do. Um, just kept going to school for, for reading, for books. Eventually got the PhD in English literature because I assumed, well, I will, I'll teach, I'll teach literature. So I had my, my sights set on an academic career for a long time. And I can remember actually telling people at that time, oh, I'm not really a writer. I'm more of a teacher. And I had that idea firmly lodged in my head that I wasn't a writer. I was a reader. I could open up books for other people, but it never occurred to me that I could write my own. And actually, even the thought of having to turn my dissertation into a book just felt overwhelming because I, I was just so convinced that I wasn't a good writer or that I wasn't cut out for it. And, um, and then it was just, you know, long story short, a season of loss. And often, isn't that the way you lose things, yeah, you suffer, yeah. you struggle. And it's really in that, um, that hard, hard place where you and I certainly did sort of became willing to hand it all back and, and question all of it. And in the questioning, began to write and began to just mm -hmm. write about my own spiritual journey, um, began to, uh, as one did back then and still does sometimes now began a blog and, and started yes. sharing my writings and, and started to realize maybe this is in me. And, and the truth was I had put writers, I admired writers so much and I loved books so much. And I was so inspired by them that I had put them on a pedestal and had assumed that I could never attain to that, that they were some, I don't know, higher, these creative people yeah, were, yeah. you know, some higher form of being. And, um, I think as well, there was a bit of a, um, a misunderstanding in me about creativity. I, I thought of creativity only in terms of um, imagination and invention. And I've never even been able to tell my, to make up a bedtime story for my children. I thought I am not creative, um, but I think there is, there are different kinds of creativity. And now I understand that my creativity is more about um, observation, paying attention, reflection, responding to beauty. Um, I think that is another form our creativity can take. So while I will probably never write the next great fantasy novel, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can write my, I can write my stories and my books. And, um, but it took years for me to, to learn that and discover that. It's so interesting on what you were saying about being a, a reader and a lover of books, but yet there was this barrier between you thinking you were worthy of doing that yourself or even and I and I thought as you before you even said it I thought I wonder if that's because you put them on yeah like you said such a high pedestal and I wonder how many people do that they are openers of books and they're teachers and they are readers but they've never really had and sometimes it takes the courage doesn't it the courage to begin yes. to try and put the words down on the paper because readers I do think readers are writers they because they've got words in their soul and we don't mm -hmm. forget stories we don't mm -hmm. forget images and narratives and um, I'm glad that I'm sure many people are that you you decided to pluck up the courage to do that <laughs> it's so it's so great and even that your journey of creativity I have a similar story um, raising a very kind of creative family, musical um, sister who did a degree in art, you know, and, mm -hmm. and but yet all the time, because my 
gifts didn't look like theirs I saw myself as not artistic not creative and we just uh, a couple of weeks ago had our mutual friend Kyle Sudden Mm -hmm. Journeys she was on the Mm -hmm. podcast and she wiped out all those things for us all the whole audience will have felt creative after Kyle's uh, pep talk (laughs) saying we've all got it in us and um, yeah it's an important pursuit isn't it to really seek the creativity Absolutely. It, it really is for everyone. I mean, I would say that, you know, for gardening as well. I mean, we, we, we have these, um, these limits in our language almost. We talk about people with green thumbs and people without. And, and the truth is we were made for this beautiful, yes. lush, abundant living world. Like we were made to be involved in it. And, and that does mean a bit of gardening. It does mean a bit of writing. And, and um, it doesn't mean then that you become a professional gardener or you have to publish a book, but these things are for all of us. Absolutely. And I had, I had sadly to just cut myself off from that, 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 that from that gift it really is a gift and now I look back and I think wow what was I doing with all of the words in my head like where were they going (laughs) I must have been just so blocked up I don't know so I'm I'm grateful for um for what was opened and 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 now it feels like water can flow freely in a way that it it wasn't before and that um, I'm glad it blesses others through books but even if I weren't publishing uh, even if I were just journaling uh it would bless me enormously Absolutely. Because like you said, that sort of flow, that ability to let go and, and, mm-hmm. ha- and have that um, a place of expression is, is mm-hmm. so important for us. Um, and, and, you know, as I said, most of our majority of our audience are mothers, are women, and that is so important for us and mm-hmm. uh, to develop that. Now, now tell us a little bit. Now, you're, you're a mother of four. I didn't realize we've both got two sons, two daughters. My eldest is 18. My youngest is 10. So we've got a similar, similar spread there. But how have you found that, uh, I want to say the word tension, but it may not feel like that to you, but kind of developing in motherhood, raising four children and still doing so, whilst pursuing creativity writing you know beauty in in how you do how how have you experienced that right it it has often felt like a tension and so i don't want to um smooth that over i i made certain certain career decisions were it seemed forced on me but certain choices i made were because i felt a tug between um, a workplace office life, a campus-based life, and the life um, I really love living at home with my family. Um, men and women can feel that. Um, I, I felt it particularly. And so, and, and that isn't a thing. It means that sometimes we, we have to be very clear about our own priorities. And um, that phrase, you know, you can have it all. I feel like, no, you know, you maybe not, <laughs> or yeah. maybe you have certain things at this, in this season and certain things like that. So I have, I have often felt that tension. Um, I have felt a certain sense of loss. I had imagined that I would um, teach college students that I would have, you know, mentor students in a, in a book lined office. And that dream did need to die and it has been reborn in other ways. So. Um, I'm aware of the tension at the same time. I'm aware of the, the gifts that have been given to me as a mother who has spent a lot of time and has been just um, has, has been grateful to spend a lot of time working from home, 
you know, writing is something I, I have been able to do from home, creative pursuits um, I could often do with the kids or around the kids or in those bits of times between naps. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, but as well, having the children, I think moved me into forms of creativity I wouldn't necessarily have picked up otherwise. I wanted to make things fun and beautiful for my kids. So, you know, there were seasons where I was learning to make little toys and I'm not very clever with sewing or crafting, but I was so Tell compelled me. to try, you know? And so I yeah. would make little, I can remember wrestling with this sewing machine. I don't do that anymore, but I did that for a few years because I was so motivated to sew little bonnets for my baby girls. And <laughs> I learned to crochet not very well, <laughs> but I, 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 I at least tried to crochet a baby blanket for each of my babies. Well and um, those aren't, you know, I feel like now I've moved into other forms of creativity. I no longer really wrestle with the crochet hook, but would I have tried, would I have been inspired to do that if it weren't just for the whole new world that our, our children can introduce us to? You know, it, different books maybe I've read because I'm looking for something that might appeal to, to this child or um, conversations, you know, I've had as my kids have become teenagers and they're interested in things that, that don't interest me. I have kids who are uh, much more interested in science and, the, and, and um, questions of uh, math and science. And a lot of our conversations, we rarely talk about literature. Let me just say that. We rarely talk about yeah, poetry sure. at the at yeah. the dinner table, which would be my preference. Um, <laughs> my kids want to talk about space and Mars and things like that. And um, and fortunately, my husband is eager uh, to do that as well. So I do maybe more listening in those conversations. But, you know, we live with other people and they, they move us in, in directions that we might not otherwise go. And that... Um, that's a good thing. And I try to remind yeah. myself of that when no one is interested in, in hearing mom talk about Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would you say to the young mom or, or mother of young children listening who maybe has had a, a career in something creative or academic even, and they're there with babies and toddlers and they still feel the tug and they, but they don't yeah. know what that looks like. Yeah. You know, how, how do we continue to cultivate that in the young early years of motherhood? Would you have something to say to those mothers? Right. You know, I do think while um, it's important and possible to do it with the kids, to do it alongside the kids, um, I also want to say that if possible, um, another family member coming in or a babysitter or a little bit of childcare so that you can actually get away on your own and dabble in the thing that that means so much to you. I, um, I can remember when I still had um, uh, preschool age children and I was beginning to write then. I wrote my first book when my youngest was two. And I can remember people reaching out to me saying, how are you doing it? You know, mm -hmm. how is this possible? And I had to be very honest with them and say, I have a babysitter. Yeah. I could not do it otherwise. And the gift of it for me was that um, it wasn't all day, five days a week. It was, you know, three mornings a week or four mornings a week or whatever I felt like I needed at certain seasons. And so, and so I could do a morning's work and then I could go and have lunch with my two-year-old and, and, and um, balance it in that way. So I, I guess I want to encourage the mothers, especially of little children in the home, um, that you you get to decide those things, but you don't need to feel bad badly if um, you don't have childcare and you're not able to um, do very much with your art or your passion. Um, 
you're not less than it's not as if some other mothers have figured out the secret. There is no secret. (laughs) There is no secret. And, um, and it is okay also to stop for a while to say, I will pick that up again one day and I will just nurture my creativity in these smaller, uh, more possible ways. Um, but yeah, there is no, there is no, um, there is no, you know, magic formula. There is no secret. Um, it really is about uh, trade-offs and asking for help and knowing that these seasons are just seasons and they don't last forever. And now I, uh, well, other than this, this uh, pandemic year, <laughs> you know, when my youngest went to kindergarten, I did have more time for work and I wrote placemaker with quiet every day um, in my home. Um, yeah. yeah that's it's so helpful and you know and I also I think that's an important message that it, and also that it hasn't gone away it suddenly hasn't yeah. been sucked out of your identity these right. things can be cultivated in, in little moments of of um I, I love um Ambos Camp's 1000 Gifts this mm. this kind of in a mo- there's those small moments of noticing and then putting them into a journal it might take you know a minute two minutes a day but actually it's doing something creatively in you because you're you're still noticing you're still writing something down and I think it, even if it looks that small That's in, the, in those young years um or, or even you know reading a poem or doing something that still sparks that sense in you that you can do whilst feeding a baby or whilst you're you know whatever you folding laundry um, and mm-hmm. audiobooks are great aren't they I am so grateful for audiobooks <laughs> when I had definitely when I had young children just being able to uh, still listen to good literature whilst everything else was going on um I, I also think it was interesting what you were saying about sewing and crocheting because my you know, listeners know and friends know that I'm I've tried various things over the years and I I don't know how you found I'm not um I'm not assuming that you're the same age as me, uh, Chrissy. I don't, I have no clue. But <laughs> what I found was, I think in my 30s, I felt like I was trying a bit of everything, like thinking, oh, I probably should be able to crochet and I probably should be able to get the sewing uh-huh. machine going. As soon as I hit 40, I kind of got to this place where I thought I almost started to sift the the things that just weren't working and just yes. weren't me and it's almost like I was able to shake off those things that didn't fit and I could say yeah I'm I'm happy I I wrote a few essays on this like things I don't do mm-hmm. and I, I don't do that <laughs> in fact I wrote a post on Instagram about it recently about the the the, the liberation that feeling of uh, of being able to say hey, I don't make sourdough I don't crochet I don't it. <laughs> But, but I do do so many other things. Um, and yeah, I, I found that to be great. That's the beauty of getting older. <laughs> oh, it really is. And we probably are quite close in age. And I have to tell you here in my um, early leaning toward mid forties, the sewing machine sits unused in the basement yeah. and it might, it may never come back out. <laughs> Me and you sister, mine is the same thing. Mine's up in the loft somewhere. <laughs> But you know what? I have the most incredible friends who knit socks, who crochet, and they make me things. And I am the most grateful, uh, you know, receiver of these gifts. So, but um, I like to think that I craft words, not socks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about your writing career. When did you know um, your words should be published or when did that opportunity arise? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it really came about um, after I finished the degree, the PhD, 
Um, I had three children at that point. My youngest was just um, not quite one. Um, so I'd had three kids while I was doing the graduate degree and um, left, graduated, left uh, Chicago where we were living, moved to a very new, different way of life, this suburban life in Northern Florida. And I started teaching just part-time at the local state college. And I have to say, I was so unhappy. I hated that job. <laughs> and I had this little baby boy. I mean, he was one and, um, I, you know, I would leave him with the sitter to go teach. And I would think why no one is making me do this. I, mm -hmm. I actually have a choice in this. And, um, at the end of that first semester, I told the college, you know, I'm going to take a semester off. I'm, I'm going to do some academic writing, try to beef up my CV and get ready for the right. real job, you know, but really I was just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, but I told myself, I'll come back. I just, I'm taking a break. So I, I took that break and I started writing, except I didn't start writing the academic article. I started writing stories about just what I lived through in Chicago and um, experiences in my 20s and, and kind of spiritual journey. And um, I really only did that because I was so miserable. And I felt at the time that I, if I were going to move in that direction, that I was burning bridges, I might never mm -hmm. be able to build again, especially once I started blogging. And now I'm writing about um, my Christian faith online and, and just moving in a very different direction. I was aware that I, um, I might be making some irreversible choices. Yeah. And um, I had to wrestle with that. But I felt so compelled. I felt so well, no, actually, the word is I felt invited. I felt invited in that That's direction. Beautiful. Yeah. And I was afraid to say yes, I was. But I felt that invitation. And it. Mm -hmm. And so I also couldn't imagine saying no. And the things that lay behind me, I could no longer, they no longer seemed to be life giving. Yeah. And, uh, and so as much as I had no idea what was ahead, I had a lot of fear about what was in a lot of uncertainty about what was ahead, because again, I thought I'm not a real writer. I'm not good at this, but I felt that invitation. And so I just kept saying these little yeses, you know, the, the yes to, to spend my babysitter hour writing, um, something more like spiritual memoir rather than the ad academic article I was supposed to be researching, you know, that was a little yes, or the little yes of, of getting a, a, a uh, website set up and starting to blog. And then the little yes of actually telling people, oh, I have this blog, <laughs> you know, all these little yeses that, that nudged me and nudged me um, until I began to just really shift in how I viewed myself and my gifts. And the writing gave me so much satisfaction in a way mm -hmm. that the writing of the dissertation had never done. Mm -hmm. And just in these slow, slow ways. And then, you know, longing, I think is a word we haven't used yet, but it's a word that yeah. um, means a lot to me. I felt I, I just began in those kind of quiet, hard days uh, to feel such longing for something, you know, I didn't even know that. Now I know I was longing for um, a different place, a new home, uh, a writing, a, a working writing life that could fit in with motherhood more easily than, than I thought the academic life could. I was, I was just filled with longing. And over the years, those longings have been met, have been fulfilled and really beyond anything I could have dreamed at that point. Um, and so it's been quite a journey quite a journey. 
So you um, is, remind me the title of your food, your first book. I know it's got the word roots. Yes, it. yes. So the first book was Roots and Sky, A roots Journey and Home in Four Seasons. And that book, um, it was about the, the first year, uh, the first four seasons of life here in our uh, farmhouse. And really it, it came about because when we moved here, I was blogging. And so I was just observing, you know, this new life. And I, over the first year of living here, I realized, wow, I'm writing a lot about the seasons. I'm writing a lot about nature. And I couldn't have predicted that. Um, I've been living in Florida. There wasn't much to say about the seasons there. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I realized, wow, I'm writing about this. I really love writing about this. Wow, maybe this could be a book. And it went from there. So, you know, it's, sometimes it's only in the doing that we realize, oh, this this is what I want to do. This is my subject. This is my voice. Yeah. This is my craft. This is my full, this is the form my creativity takes. We don't know that ahead of time. No, um, it's only in the doing. So it was in the doing that I realized, oh, I like writing about the natural world. I like um, observing the natural world and letting that fuel my um, theological thinking and my reflecting. And, but I, yeah, I just only in the doing did I discover that. So yeah, that was, that was Roots and Sky. That's amazing. And uh, Anna, before we finish our chat later, we'll uh, we'll tell people about a new project you've got coming up soon. Um, but well, I know publishing process is like not quite soon, but <laughs> we'll get there on that one. That's that's amazing. And I, I think just to pick up on what you said there about, yeah, in the doing, we mm -hmm. often find out um you know what our wheelhouse is what it is our, our what comes to the surface doesn't yes. it like, oh this is it and that that I don't know about you but that's taken me years and I think in my again in, I remember having a, a conversation with Sally Clarkson first couple of times I met mm -hmm. her and and knowing having this desire and longing to write in me but being so just in the trenches with motherhood and 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 educating my children at home pastoring with my husband mm -hmm. and then her saying to me you know Leah I didn't publish my first book till I was 42 or 43 and oh. and I and now she's I mean she must be in the 20s now of books she's published yeah. and I and she said yeah I didn't even start till that and I was like oh okay as <laughs> a young woman I'd looked on on people and gone oh if I haven't started writing or publishing or creating or whatever it is people are feeling or maybe people are listening and they want to start a business and they've got other ideas and you kind of look at maybe an old generation think they must have been doing it forever or you'll see somebody who's 25 on Instagram who happens to have got a publishing right. deal. but actually you know the the, the longing is it, the longing can lead us in a direction that the doors will open at the right time and I know again that that kind of contentment of just doing the work and and waiting for those moments of clarity this is what I should be doing this is what I should be writing or, or creating and then knowing the uh, the right time to share that with the world um, oh, yes, yes. and I, you know again something I guess maybe that comes with getting a little bit older um, but Anybody who's listening, who is in like 20s and 30s and you're feeling that frustration, just steady your heart. The time will come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it will come. But no, that's, that's so good what you've shared. Um, OK, I would like to step out into the, into the garden. We can imagine yeah. going into Maplehurst. I have been so inspired by um, by your stories and essays and just sharing about your garden. In fact, I... 
we've lived in our current our house which overlooks a park we've lived here four years four years and I've now got three David Austin Rose in the front and I as I got my publishing deal I should I thought I, I must share this with with you as I got my publishing deal the, the day I signed I ordered a rose from David Austin called The Poet's Wife. Do you have that yes, one? Yes, I don't have that one, but I know it. It's a beautiful yes. rose. Oh, so that's brilliant. <laughs> so I planted her and she will hopefully bloom by the time I hand my draft first draft in. That's how, uh, so how sentimental I am about these things. But I, I, um, I'm i trying to think, I, I've, got, I've also got Emily Bronte. She's in the garden as well, so. <laughs> I um, love the all the literary roses yes. they have now with the David Austin roses. I love that. Would it be wonderful to have a whole like yeah. a literary garden party with all the literary I themed know. roses? I, that is kind of my goal. I keep looking, although my rose bed is the patch I've got kind of I could dig more though actually thinking about it it's not huge but um I just the the and again I'm not an experienced gardener but I I love learning and I'm tending to little things every year learning about something new so you've been a great inspiration um for that Christy but tell us a, you know have you always gardened is this <laughs> that's something a, that you know yeah, that's a good question <laughs> no you know I feel like this is a story of my life is thinking that certain things are not for me and then discovering oh my goodness they're exactly for me so I grew up in Texas and my father was a gardener but the Texas climate is harsh and where we lived it was very hot and very sticky humid for so much of the year and it just was so uncomfortable to me to be outside in the summers that I would admire his garden from the windows he grew so many roses and um, I I was drawn to it but it it but it just felt like I couldn't. It was just, I'd go outside and I would just wilt. Um, So I read about gardens. I loved The Secret Garden. That was my favorite book. I read it over and over. And that book filled me with longing, I think, for gardens and natural beauty. But I just assumed, oh, I find that in books. I read about gardens. Um, And and that really was it. And I was in my early 20s. I was in graduate school when a graduate school friend, and I was living in Chicago. So Southside Chicago, high-rise apartment, no, not even a balcony at that point, no garden at all. And my um, graduate school friend said, uh, my boyfriend and I rented this little plot in a community garden, but we want to share it. You know, it's too much just for us. Do you and, and your husband, do you want to um, garden with us? And I, I can remember being astonished thinking, wait, what you're doing? What? <laughs> Why? It was so out of, I, I, it just was something I would have never considered on my own. It was not on my radar at all. And, um, and I wasn't sure if I should say yes, I was intimidated. I thought, I don't know anything about growing vegetables, but um, I liked this couple. I thought, well, we'll spend time with them. They invited one or two others to, to join us. And, and I did it. And oh my goodness, I knew nothing. It was often just an absolute disaster. I would, I'd be so embarrassed when I'd go and I'd see our little plot and there were these amazing gardeners next to us, you know, with their incredible yeah. harvests. And I would be, oh, by August, I would just stop going at all. Cause I'd be so overwhelmed by the weeds. It was just <laughs> yeah. terrible, but it was also wonderful. It was a beginning yeah. and I did grow to enjoy it. Um, And so it did become a part of my life. Um, 
but really it was only when I moved here to Maplehurst that now I had space and now um, I felt like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll start growing some things. And um, it just has literally grown <laughs> since then. So I, I've been learning as I go. I've, I've made wow. all the mistakes. Um, I have failed so many times, but I have been astonished. Again, you learn in the doing. I've been astonished at yes. how much it nourishes me, how much it nurtures me and astonished as well. When I moved here, I started a big vegetable garden. I assumed, oh, I love food. I want to feed my family. And slowly I have transitioned to really growing mostly flowers, which feels so selfish. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't feed your family with flowers and no. yet, oh, the flowers, you feed can feed me. their souls. <laughs> they feed their souls. They do. Yeah. And I hope uh, just like me with my father, and I, I actually, I dedicated placemaker to my dad because I know in the gardening that he was planting seeds in me that have now sprouted that mm -hmm. I just wasn't aware of, you know, they were dormant all those years. So I do hope that my children, just by being exposed to it, just by being around it, by seeing that it's possible. I, right. think, I think that's the thing about gardening is you see these gorgeous flowers and you think, well, that's impossible. I could never. And yet you, most of us can, we yes. really can. And yeah. so for my children to know that, to know that this is possible and to know that this is valuable, that right. this is, you know, this is something with very little utilitarian value, the flower mm -hmm. garden, and yet their mother values it. Their mother um, works at it. And I feel like whether they do that in gardening or they cultivate good things in some other way, um, I want them to have that slightly different mindset that says um, these things that maybe the world doesn't value quite so much um, are still important. Mm. Oh, such a good message. So important. And how, uh, what do you think your journey into gardening and growing has has done for your mind and, and I guess because we know it's a very physical aspect to it it is yeah so many people have turned to it as well during the pandemic I remember when uh after we'd been closed down here completely one of the first things to open were garden centers I don't know if mm. you knew that about the UK oh, wow. <laughs> they opened garden centers because it was this you know they wanted people to be able to work on what they had mm. and so many people I know just like okay I'm going to get a grow bag try some tomatoes try some different things but I think for our mental and emotional health it's so important isn't it Absolutely. But you're right as well. It has been an intellectual journey. So I'm, as far as gardening, I'm so grateful to have a place where I can go and I can just like dig in and my brain can get a break. But yeah. at the same time, um, garden design, as I've gotten more, more interested in that, as I'm reading more about gardening, because again, it always comes back to books for me. So I spend the winter reading, reading, reading everything I can about gardening. Um, the mental exercise now of um, planning three-dimensional spaces, of learning about the life cycle of plants in order to try to orchestrate something lovely in the space I have, um, it, it's very stretching um, mentally. And I sometimes I even this winter, I've had to give myself a bit of a break from reading the garden books, because then I'll lie in bed at night and my brain just will not stop thinking, <laughs> thinking, sure. you know, trying to solve some problem or think through some space. Um, but it's so it's a whole new way, I think, of directing um, my mind and of ex exercising a kind of artistic creativity in space, in time as well. Mm -hmm. Gardening is a art form maybe 
a bit more like music that happens in time um, and is different with every performance. So um, in that sense, it's, it's not just, I mean, nothing is just a hobby, right? But gardening is really right. not just a hobby. It just feels like I, I am so deeply rooted in this ground now in all these ways. And I'm deeply rooted like heart, mind, and soul, um, not just, you know, for the physical aspect. And you, and you, you're bearing the fruit of that. I'm just going to read the last paragraph of Placemaker, if mm. I may. I don't know sure. how you feel about people reading your work. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you're saying. And it really, I was just flicking through again before we were talking, but you talk about peace at the end. Mm. And this last paragraph, the work of wholeness and the cultivation of peace will carry us right on out and into the realm of and into the realm of chaos. It will lead us to edges in the land, in our hearts, in our memories. How frightened we will sometimes be, how hopeless we will sometimes feel. And yet here is where we will make gardens. We will eat the fruit of them. And when joy comes in the morning, as joy always does come, we will clap our hands with all the trees of the field. I mean, people have to read the whole book to get the full context of that, but that's so, so beautiful. There's, there's words and, of wholeness and cultivation and this idea of gardening, you know, getting your hands in the dirt and clipping back and pruning and looking like, I mean, so many times my husband has looked at something and gone, is that dead? And I'm like, no, I've just pruned it. <laughs> <laughs> and that simple analogy of something looking dead but it's yes. just sleeping it's just resting and yes. we just have to wait there's so much we can uh, take for our lives can't we and you, I'm sure you must have had so many spiritual moments in the garden Christy mm -hmm. I can't even imagine mm -hmm. how many <laughs> yeah I think uh, you know modern life in so many ways it splits us into bits and pieces and this bit of us does something over here and that bit of us is over here and in the garden I feel like all of me is coming back together mm, and I'm kind of re-knit together um my my brain is thinking but my heart is rejoicing in the beauty and you know it's feeding my soul and so it's all of me in the garden and I I think I hope that by spending time in that kind of wholeness um, and um spiritual physical all of it that then when I leave the garden and I go back to you know parenting or writing or running errands I mean you know just life stuff yeah. that that now the whole of me is is um moving forward again and I, I have to keep returning to the garden to sort of come back together yeah <laughs> um that's, yeah that's amazing I I know that uh we both had unfortunately had COVID at a similar time mm -hmm. earlier this year and I had this very bizarre moment in the midst of feeling really poorly and I had a little notebook by next to my bed and I was obviously physically just couldn't get out of bed but my mind was starting to think about the garden and what I needed mm. to do and I just sort of sat and tried to with the energy I had sketch out how I pictured my my back garden and I knew I had to move the apple tree um I've been planning to do this anyway into the middle of the garden but I had to do it obviously in winter while it was cold right, right. so one of I mean my husband and I hadn't spoken tons he'd been caring for the family and, and making sure I was okay and one of my more moments of kind of feeling like I could have a conversation I, the first thing I said was we need to move the apple tree, the apple tree. <laughs> <He's> like, what <laughs> where's that 
come from? I'm like in the depths of my heart and mind whilst. <laughs> so when I felt well in it, and I said, but I want to do it. It was just something I, I had to do when I would researched it like this is because it, it was basically too close to a pear tree. It was not mm. doing well. So I am. Um, as soon as I could feel as I felt better enough and the ground was soft enough I I had this moment moving this tree and oh. it was so funny that's one of my uh, I guess I don't want to call it a highlight of COVID there weren't any highlights particularly right, right. kind of enlightened moment of oh I can actually think of something and then back to sleep again oh I love that I love so that fun. so I I um we haven't got much much longer now in our conversation Christy but I'd love to know as I'm sure I know this is a question I love to ask people but is there anybody particularly who who has inspired you in in your work that you do now in your creativity in your intellectual life um maybe from the past or, or continues to inspire you mm, yeah good question I <laughs> it's funny but I, I suppose because we're thinking gardening but really who have I spent the most time with in, in terms of a, a figure of inspiration this 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 winter it would be Monty Don the yes. BBC <laughs> gardening guru you know Monty but, yes he's amazing. but you know what it is it's um it's I think it's this example of someone and obviously he's a working gardener in the sense he's writing books and he's doing the television show and teaching etc but um clearly the main thing for him is is creating and caring for this personal garden yes. and again I feel like that is something that in the our world might say what is the value of that why are you working so hard at that I mean the why are you poor and it takes money too. you know the purchase of mm. a new rose or you know it is the money the time the effort why um and yet I can, he reminds me every time it is worthwhile, this urge, I feel this longing, I feel to do this work. Um, it's not silly, it's not wasteful, but is mm -hmm. meaningful. And so we need yeah. those people, I think, who remind us, oh, yes, I'm not crazy. <laughs> right. um, yeah, so Monty Dawn is that for me. And I think, too, it's the the idea of the writer gardener, which is is lovely yeah. to me. And um, I love reading um you know so much about the garden but I guess I read a wonderful book while I was sick this winter um you mentioned COVID it showed up at just the right time it's probably uh, many have, have seen it it's um, quite popular now but Catherine May's new book or recent yeah. book wintering, wintering the power yeah. of rest I think power rest and retreat in difficult times yeah and that came to me during this winter while I was sick and um I, uh, obviously just the subject of it really spoke to me. It was just what I needed, but also as her example of just the curiosity she displays in that book. She's so curious about other people and the way they live and how do they handle winter and um, how do they handle illness or setback and how do they find rest and um, and she interviews them and she travels to meet them. And just that curiosity she displays um, is also really inspiring to me. And uh, I, I hope, um, even as I kind of narrow in on the things that really are part of my life that are, I'm meant to do, that I remain open and curious to just the different different ways that other people are are um, are living their lives as well. So I appreciated that about her book. Yeah, I think we must have read it at a similar time, and I've passed mm -hmm. it on to a few friends and bought it for people since. Actually, I really enjoyed wintering, and uh, I've kind of 
tuned into a few of her videos and her mm -hmm. podcasts actually recently on on the same subject but she kind of reminds me of you a little bit Christy as well do you oh you? thank you with her at all have you been I, able I just a little bit on Instagram and I've, okay. I've I've also been listening to the podcast but you know the highest compliment I someone reached out to me when I recommended the book and said oh I I was going to tell you about this book because her writing or the book reminded me of Placemaker and yes. I just was blown away because I thought, oh my goodness, how, how can that be? But then I thought, you know, yes, that that is something that so inspires me that I did want to create myself that that um, paying attention to the things that wake me up. So in yes. Placemaker, I write a lot about the trees and the, yeah. the stories of the trees because that's something that's so inspiring to me. And I, I love I love when people inspire me with their loves. And yes. um, even if it's something I never thought about loving, uh, but I love the trees, I love the natural world and I want to pass that on. And so, yeah, it meant a lot when, when she shared that, that, that um, she yeah, I put agree. our books together. I, I so. completely agree. And I love in Placemaker how each chapter, the title is a tree. That's, mm -hmm. so, I loved that. It's just, mm -hmm. I love trees too. It's just yeah. amazing. Um, so uh, what are you reading at the moment? Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Good question. What am I reading at the moment? Oh, I'm reading a wonderful little book, um, uh, really because it's we're in the season of, of Lent in, in the Christian church. And this little book, it's very atypical Lenten reading, but it's, uh, it's called Wild Hope. And okay. it's um, stories for Lent from the vanishing. Uh, Gail Boss is the writer, and she has a similar book for Advent. But it's stories, little nature stories, one for each day. And they're about... Um, uh, uh, animals, creatures around the world that are endangered or, or vanishing. And wow. so it, it tackles this very um, difficult sort of tragic, hard storytelling, and yet does it in a way, you know, it's called wild hope. It does it in a way that it zeroes in on something wonderful or um, hopeful or, um, oh, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it, it's very, I think, Linton in that way, you know, that paying mm. attention to these hard things in order to tune ourselves toward resurrection and new life. And, um, and when it has lovely illustrations. So it's really, it's meant, I think you could read it with, with kids. Um, I have tried reading it with, with my kids and they enjoy it. Um, but I've since just kind of grabbed it for myself and I'm reading it on my own because <laughs> I yeah. like it so much, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would really recommend that one. It's good for families, good for, um, uh, you know, reading aloud, but also just good for personal reading. That sounds lovely. Have you found, because you have um, studied literature mm -hmm. and done that, to, you know, to, to a very high level, have you found that's impacted the way you read, um, say, older books? I want to say the word classics. I mean, that kind of covers all sorts of things now. But do you still enjoy reading the kind of books you had to read for your study? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a good question because the truth is there are uh, there, a lot of what I read then I, I no longer read and I no longer enjoy because I was reading it then in order to um, become a master of yes. knowledge, right? Yes. And so there was a lot of extra that I just had to read in order to master that subject or that time period. Um, and so that I, I, it's all still in my head a little bit, but you know, I no longer seek out those things. Um, but what is left, I think what is sort of sifted out um, is what drew me to those studies in the first place. So I do still read poetry as much as I can. Mm -hmm. I still read 
Uh, oh, I mean, so a poet who's stuck with me through graduate school. And, and today, recently, I was rereading Four Quartets by T.S. Eliot. And oh, Eliot has been with me since, you know, my high school English okay. classes. So it's I feel like the things that are really for me, um, I have held on to. And they have continued to nourish me. Um, you know, the same writers that sort of sent me into graduate studies have, you know, continued the journey with me, but a lot sifted away, a lot sort of fell away. And, and that's, and that's fine. Um, so I read differently now, yes. Um, but I, I love now that I can really read for um, pleasure uh, in very personal and idiosyncratic ways. You know, I can follow my own interests and don't have to account for them to anyone, <laughs> which yeah. is so much fun. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. That's, I love that. I and mean, we've had great discussions on poetry on the Modern Miss Mason podcast. We, we mm. love it over here. And it is interesting how um, w w sort of women coming back into poetry in mm -hmm. their, uh, you know, 20s and 30s, 40s even, after maybe having to study at school and, and right. dissect it and pull it right. apart and you know everyone did daffodil, the daffodils poem Wordsworth right. you know? <laughs> and suddenly you know saying that I mean I've had people I've been in workshops about poetry and people say to me I hate poetry like, what what do you mean by that and that it will always go back to school it will always go back mm -hmm. to studying mm -hmm. And then I'll read them something completely different, you know, mm -hmm. Ella Wheeler Wilcox, Mary Oliver, or even, oh, yeah. even a words with poem they've never heard of. And I just say, just listen to just the words, listen. feel yeah. them. You know? And, I, and I, I love reading and writing poetry. I just think it has a special place in the world. Uh -huh. um, but it, and I also think poetry is something that even if you don't have a great, capacity for reading novels and long chapters in a season in your life poetry is something you can just pick up can't you and exactly still, yeah, especially, yeah. yeah especially for busy moms you know you can have great literature in just a few minutes right I know I love that and I I think I say that a lot on here <laughs> I, I, love, I love in particular, uh, uh, Eva, Eva Boland is an Irish poet that I loved way back in my academic days, but still, still return to her poems, especially about motherhood and raising oh. children. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. This has been so wonderful. It Thank has. you so much. Can you share a little bit about your most recent project that you just finished and, um, do you have any idea when it can be in our hands? <laughs> That's right. So we'll have to wait until next winter, but my next book is really special. It's uh, called Garden Maker, and it's a book of essays about my flower garden, about the flowers I grow. Um, it's uh, also accompanied by full color photographs from my garden. It was such a delight to take those pictures. And really it's intended for, uh, even if you're not interested in gardening, they're, you know, I think enjoyable essays, but at the same time, if you want to get into gardening, um, I made it a point to give as much practical advice as possible so that someone could pick up the book, read it, be inspired to cultivate their own little patch of, of beauty um, and, and, and then actually have the tools to do it. So it's practical, but also literary. And I hope, uh, and I think, and I believe I've seen some of the, the design so far, I think it will be really beautiful. So it's been such a joy to create that. So we have a little while to wait, um, but it is coming.
That's so exciting and something to look forward to, definitely. Why don't you tell, uh, share a little bit about your podcast as well with Lisa Joe, which I That's love right. to I'm sure people yes. would love to listen. That's true. Every Wednesday, we have a new episode. It's called the Out of the Ordinary Podcast. Um, I co-host that podcast with a longtime friend, a dear friend, another writer, Lisa Jo Baker. She and I met way back in our Chicago days before either of us thought about writing, before oh. either of us were mothers. And here we are still friends, you know, more than 20 years later. And uh, every week we, um, we share stories just out of our ordinary lives, really because we believe that it's in like by tending that soil of our ordinary lives that the extraordinary stories are, are able to take root and grow. So we pay attention to all the little things and then share our stories every Wednesday. <laughs> they are wonderful. I, I really, and I think because you're such good friends, the rapport and chemistry between you is just is so you can feel it in that as you're listening and I generally I've got them uh, my airpods in while I'm cooking dinner listening to you two have a conversation and it's such the joy uh the joy and also the the kind of vulnerability at times I mean yes. you've often shared stories that are really vulnerable and you've both been sat there in tears mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and that I think yeah if if listeners haven't tuned in and, and uh, discovered that yet please go over and take a listen and I guess people can find you on on Instagram um mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah. Instagram's a great place to find me. I love um, inviting people into Maplehurst on Instagram at Christy Purifoy. I do have a website as well, and I send out an occasional newsletter. So if you go to christypurifoy.com, you can sign up for that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of all over, but um, if you want to get a glimpse of the garden and, and this house that we're creating here, then Instagram is a great place to do that. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you loved it, why don't you go over to the podcast app, click on those five stars and maybe leave a couple of sentences to say what you've enjoyed listening to so far. Um, it's not just for me. I do love listening to them and reading them, but it's to help other people find the podcast. So if you can help me out that way, that would be amazing. Guys, did you hear that I'm writing you a book? Yes, Modern Miss Mason, the book, will be coming to you in 2022. I signed with Tyndale Publishing back in December, and I'm so privileged to be doing this. Um, I know it's a long time to wait, but we can do the journey together. If it's too long for you to wait, why don't you come over to Instagram or Facebook and hang out with me there, or you can join me on the Charlotte Mason Unbox course, where I will walk you through implementing the Charlotte Mason philosophy in your home with complete freedom. Or if you'd prefer a cup of tea and a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I do have a coaching service. So you can book a coaching call with me and um, I'd love to do that. I'd love to see more of you and hear from you. The details of these connections and services are in the notes in the podcast, or you can click on the link in my Instagram account or head over to modernmissmason.com. I'll see you next week. Thank you.